You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When we near that time of year where it's busy, schedules are packed, we're trying to keep up. Uh, Hopefully, Amazon has delivered all your Christmas gifts. If they've not, be at peace, all is well, Jesus is king, they're still brick-and-mortar buildings and random places across the city where perhaps you can pick through whatever's left and pretend as if you started months ago because you're a planner like that. You know, it's one of those times of year where we learn a lot about ourselves and we learn a lot about our families. Now, my children have gotten a little bit older, but one of the things that I always remember about particularly Christmas Eve was there was always the assembly time that was necessary. So there was this whole production where we would go to a Christmas Eve service, we would come back home, we would have to wait until we could give the kids cookies, and one of our uh, traditions is you get new jammies Christmas Eve, and we would put them to bed, and then they would all struggle mightily to go to bed when it's been difficult to get them out of bed to go to school for months and months. Suddenly, they can't sleep, and they're no longer tired. We would wait. It was an absolute test of perseverance and endurance. Can we still be awake and cognizant and able to read instructions and put things together? And why don't these things take batteries like the others? I didn't know we needed another size. What in the house can we now disassemble in order to put these batteries into so that we can get it to work for 20 minutes before our children can tell us it doesn't work anymore. And in these assembly things, there's always a great challenge. You learn that uh, if you're not an engineer, that it's a good thing that you're not. Um, And I remember Christmas after Christmas, one in particular, we got this American Girl dollhouse. Now listen, American Girl is a cult. (laughs) It's expensive, all right? But evidently, it's a thing. So we got our American Girl dollhouse, uh, and we had to do some assembly there. And I'm putting the dollhouse together. Everything's going swimmingly. And I come to this one section. I'm trying to get it. And I've got this little bitty screw, and it's supposed to be self-tapping, and everything's going to be great. And I'm putting it in there, and it's late, and I'm going real fast. And all of a sudden, I, I hear when I did that one more twist just to tighten it down, snap, crackle, and pop, and it was not Rice Krispies. And all of a sudden, part of the house starts to just fall off the side. And I'm like, uh-oh, that can't be good because this is one of the big gifts, you know. Allison has already in her mind figured out where it sits in the den so that we can get this, you know, Facebook moment captured with girls and their things. And 
So I now have half of it lopped off. So, you know, I figure, how hard can this be? I grew up on a cattle farm in East Texas. Duct tape and baling wire fixes everything. But the problem is duct tape doesn't look good on a little girl's pink dollhouse. And so I start trying to put things on this house just to hold that wall in to make it fit for, you know, them to come down. And then, you know, Alice is looking at me like, why did you do this? And I'm thinking, why did you think I could do this? And we're, you know, going back and forth and sanctification and marriage because she's asking, why did you break it? And I'm thinking, woman, I'm about to lose it right now. Why are we talking? Merry Christmas, you. And so... <laughs> We're having this sanctifying moment in our marriage, and I start trying. I mean, I'm in the garage. I mean, I'm trying to figure out where is that little jar of a bunch of random screws and washers that were left over from things that I probably should have used then, trying to put all this stuff back together. And I, I finally get it as best I can, and I've got it sort of, you know, held together. I don't know. We found crazy glue that I had to cut the entire end off of and stand on with the car riding over it to try to get a little bit of glue to hold everything together. We get it in there, and I've got it there, and I'm thinking, okay, whew, we made it. We can, we can get through this. Next morning, girls come down. I mean, it's glorious, right? I mean, we got Bitty Baby. We got, we got, the, we got the house. We got, that's American girl language, in case you don't know, all right? And, and we got the house and all this stuff. And the first thing they do, they get one of their married girls, they set them on the house, and guess what happens to the house? I mean, like a bad card house. It just exploded. And suddenly, we went from a beautiful Christmas memory, happy, everybody's got their stuff, to within a moment, we now wailing, gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, great crocodile tears, faces leaking, looking, Dad, can you fix it? I'm thinking, nope, already tried, and that didn't work. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, what are we going to do now? And, and so we, you know, we survived that, and by God's grace, you know, they survived the dollhouse that wasn't, and we bought another one, so I don't know, probably half the retirement is gone, and, 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 and we're there. And, and you say, okay, John, that's great. Thanks for the encouragement. I look forward to Christmas Eve. Uh, I, I want you to know, though, this is a lot of what happens for us when it comes to trying to fix ourselves. You see, when it comes to Christmas... Christmas sometimes is a reminder that we've broken a lot of things in our lives. Christmas is sometimes a, a reminder that everything that we thought was going to work in a certain way didn't work out that way. And we do a lot of different things to try to fix it. You know, at Christmas, we will get together, and even though we know that we're fractured and we're still hurting and there are wounds that we're still trying to navigate and get through, we'll pretend that everything's okay in this tense moment, just hoping that no one crosses that line and that things don't come apart. We'll muster up these words that perhaps are not really indicative of what our hearts are feeling just because it's the appropriate thing. We'll do all sorts of things to try to fix what's broken. And what usually happens is we find, just like I found out that morning, that when just when I thought I could hold it together, it was actually going to fall apart. The writer of Hebrews wants us to understand some things about our lives. Now, as we get into Hebrews chapter 10, it's important we need to answer a few interpretation questions about the Bible. As we begin in chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, there is this picture and this reminder about this shadowy pursuit that has been going on. This idea that there is a true reality yet to come, but there is, if you are familiar with the Bible, you read in the Older Testament about this covenant 
It seems so archaic and violent. These sacrifices that were offered over and over and over. And oftentimes, for people who've grown up in church and love the Lord, you read the Older Testament and you're like, wow, this, this, is, this is dreadful. This, this sounds awful. This is so barbaric. I, I can't believe that we have a God who would ask for this to happen. I, I, I'm struggling trying to figure this out. We will set up even in our own hearts and minds that the old covenant is bad and the new covenant is good. But in reality, God gave both. One is not bad and one is not good. It's the same way that a lot of times we'll approach the Older Testament and then look at the Newer Testament and we just want to kind of discard the Older Testament and say, well, you don't need that one. We just, we just need the Gospels. We just, we're going to stay in the New Testament. We're going to do these things. And sometimes we set up this unnecessary wall between Old and New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand you don't have to put a wall up between the two. One is not bad and one is not good. All are from God, but they unfolded in time. And there was a shadow that was cast. This shadow, though, was pointing to a greater reality. And the entire book of Hebrews is spent telling us that Jesus is the greater reality. Jesus is the greater priest. He's the greater sacrifice. He's the greater temple. He's the greater, he is the greater everything. And so as you come to this, you're going to have to decide, what do I understand about the Older Testament, the Newer Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant? When it comes to these things, what we should understand is this. God has always had a plan to rescue people. But it unfolded over time, and it started out with shadows. Now, in these shadows, there are some miraculous things. The author of Hebrews begins in chapter 1 long ago, and in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the Son, whom he has made the heir of all things, and through whom he created the whole world. We have a God who speaks. We have a God who has told us and shown us these pictures but he's also given us the greater reality. God spoke through those prophets long ago, and we read, particularly in this time, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. We go all the way back to Genesis and remember that there is enmity between the woman and her offspring, and that one day that the enemy would be destroyed through the offspring of a woman, through a baby. And as we look at these things over and over, those things were spoken, but then the writer of Hebrews says, but in these last days, He's spoken to us, not just by the Son through the prophets, but he has spoken to us directly as the Son incarnate. What's it like within the Godhead? We know that there is one God. But we know within the Godhead there are three distinct persons. There are three subsistences within the, in the one essence or being that is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we have the incredible privilege and opportunity to eavesdrop on conversation between Father and Son. And as we read through this, it is a reminder that at this Advent season, when we're talking about joy, it's important to remember that joy is not a false happiness. Joy is an internal feeling of the soul because of who Christ is and what he has done, enabled and empowered by the Spirit so that it helps us to see the world differently. 
And as we look at joy and we eavesdrop in on this conversation between God the Father and God the Son, we find out that there was a shadowy pursuit. Now, there were pictures of God's goodness. All the way back to our first parents when sin entered the world and changed everything. Our first parents, much like us, tried to hide their shame and hide their guilt in their own way. But it was insufficient. And so we got this picture from the very beginning that something had to forfeit its life. An animal forfeit its life so that our parents' shame and guilt could be covered. A picture that later there would be a sacrifice that would cover our shame and guilt as well. But as the pictures unfolded from our first parents to this people delivered to pictures within a tabernacle, pictures within a temple, there were these other terrible, disturbing pictures of wrath. We we would read about this prescribed way in which people would come to the tabernacle or to the temple. We read about things like lavers and basins and altars and blood being sprinkled and blood being poured out and spilt and and scattered and splattered. And we read these things and we think, I don't understand how this could be. And when we read something in Hebrews like this blood of bulls and goats was never going to satisfy God's wrath for sin, we have to ask ourselves the question, then what was the point? You see, as we read about these things, when people would go, even to tabernacle or temple, it was a reminder that there was a barrier, a gap between God and man. There were certain places you could go. There were certain places you could not go. There was a a reminder that sin brings death. And in these pictures, before people's very eyes, they would see life given through blood and life escaping body. They would see that God would be willing to accept a substitute. But Hebrews wants us to know that that was never the thing that was going to deal with sin. You couldn't fix the brokenness. You couldn't put the house back together. You couldn't make it all right on your own. This shadowy pursuit. Now, we read about these things. And when we talk about God's wrath, that is a very unpleasant subject. And in today's culture, we're not supposed to talk about those sorts of things. We're only supposed to uh, look at God's love. But the reality is, just as perfect and holy God's love is, so too is his wrath. And in the very beginning, God told our first parents that in the day that you sin, you will surely die. So the reality for us is, God said sin brings death. So if God does not act in wrath towards sin leading to death, God lied. And here's the problem. If God lied, he's not God at all. Shadows. This shadowy pursuit. But then wonder of wonders. We get to eavesdrop on a conversation because we have a Savior who speaks. A Savior who speaks. Look at verses uh, 5 through 7. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said. What's the conversation between father and son as the one who spoke stars into existence speeds through the galaxy toward earth? What's the conversation like when surrounded in infinite light and beauty suddenly taking up residence in the dark womb of a young woman? How does omnipresence Take a body 
How does God become man? In this conversation, Jesus says as he comes into the world, the thing that is said before the angels announce to shepherds, the thing that is said before the magi show up to worship, the thing that is said, this is what he says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. You say, okay, well, if he didn't want those, then why did he tell his people to do that? The answer is we have to be reminded that you have to come to God on his terms, not yours. It's a reminder that he is so infinitely holy that you can't just come to God in any way that you want to. And God is the one who sets the terms. And so in these shadowy pictures, Jesus himself says, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. And I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, as you read scripture, there's something wonderful that's happening here. I want you to know, when it comes to knowing God, we know him through his word. We have a God who speaks. And in this, as we eavesdrop on this conversation, there is a quote that is used in your Bibles. You'll probably notice that it's probably offset in the type. It's because it's a quote from Psalm 40. Uh, Originally, it would be attributed to King David, and now we find out that it has its greater and its fulfillment in King Jesus. Perhaps David, as he writes this psalm, is reminded of what Samuel told King Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. A lot of times we think, okay, well, if I do the stuff, then I'm good. But even in the Older Testament, Samuel says, listen, Saul, the fact that you took all of these animals and you're holding on to them so that you could sacrifice them to obey God is better than sacrifice. But now we find out that that was actually a prophetic word. And that the same God who has given us all of sacred scripture is speaking through David his own words. Now, for some people, I I want you to know, as our world has more and more questions about Jesus, as we try to figure out how we're supposed to put all this brokenness together, I want you to know, when it comes to the Older Testament, a lot of times Christians shrink back. We're not sure what to say. There's some things in there that seem difficult and and violent and hard, and so we just kind of back up from it. But I, I want you to know, when it comes to the Older Testament, Jesus and what Jesus says about the Older Testament and what Jesus believes about the Older Testament is much more important than what we find culturally appropriate. And if you want to know what Jesus thinks of the Older Testament, I want you to know that in reality, all the words in your Bible are read. They have all come from God. Every last one of them. And so Jesus, taking words Hundreds of years before, he said, this is what I said. And he said it again when he came into the world. For in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. We have a Savior who speaks. And listen to what he says, a body you have prepared for me. What was it like to prepare Jesus' body? To prepare his eyes. I wonder what color 
Jesus' eyes are. I wonder if his profile, his chin, his nose, we know there would probably be some similarity to Mary at least. In the preparation of this body, what, what, what was it like? To, to form Jesus' voice. To think about his height, his stature. All of these things prepared and crafted and made. Dear ones, I want you to know God made you as well. Fearfully, wonderfully. And that for us in these moments, as we think about this wondrous thing, a body prepared for God himself. It wasn't the sacrifices that you were interested in, oh God, but you have prepared a body for me. Because in those offerings and sin offerings, that's not where you find your joy. And so the son says to the father, I have come to do your will, and I'm going to do the will just as it is written in the book. Savior speaks. What a marvelous thing to know that our Savior speaks. But the stunning part about this is that there's a shocking sacrifice. It's true, all of those things were type and shadow. Historians say that on high holy days at the temple that there were so many hundreds of thousands of sacrifices that they would literally have to dig trenches away from the temple so that the blood could run down into the Kidron Valley. But the shocking nature of the sacrifice is not that it would be seen in these animals with which God was not taking delight or joy in that. The shocking thing is that Jesus would be the sacrifice. God himself would be the sacrifice. This was not unknown. This was a plan. Uh, consider Isaiah 53. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Well, we're trying to put our house back together. Trying to take one more good deed to be just a little bit of glue where we're coming apart at the seams. While we're trying to find something else outside ourselves or inside ourselves that's going to fix us. When we're still far from God and we couldn't save ourselves, the eternal plan of God has always been to rescue man through Jesus. And the shocking nature of the sacrifice would be that the son, perfect, spotless, for no crime of his own, would not only be our great high priest, but he would also be our great sacrifice. These people were acquainted with the picture. Pictures of priests putting their hands on goats and symbolically transferring sin and leading them outside to die. Familiar with lambs when when flash of blade, blood runs out. They knew about these pictures, and they had done all of these things to try to fix their sin and take it away. But it's always been that he has put him to grief, for when his soul makes an offering for guilt, Isaiah 53, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, the will of the Lord shall prosper 
in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the same transgressors. Consider 1 Peter 1, 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope or in God. You see, the shocking nature of the sacrifice is that God himself became the sacrifice. Because only God in his own holiness could satisfy his holiness. We're still just trying to hold things together. A shocking sacrifice. But a satisfactory sacrifice Look down at verse number 12 in Hebrews 10. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. All those other shadows were now driven away by the light. All the other pictures now found embodiment in the sun. All of the shadowy pursuit now, with great clarity, is God the Son, sinless, led outside the city as our scapegoat, hung on a cursed tree, shed his blood. And in that sacrifice, God is satisfied. And the church has sung it for generations. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. It makes me white as snow. There's no other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It was a shocking sacrifice, but it was satisfactory. For you see, the Christ having not committed any sin of his own, having not inherited the sin nature from Adam, having lived a perfect life all by the plan of God. Not only did he die and shed his blood, but three days later, he rose. And that is the promise of hope that we have. That is the guarantee for us. Christ did not just die, but he rose again. And that sacrifice pleases and satisfies the Father. But oh, what a, what a surprising salvation we experience. I, I want to make sure that you don't miss some words in here. I want you to look down at, at, at verse number, um, oh, let's go with verse 17 and 18. Then he adds, Listen to this. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no 
more. Listen to me while you're still trying to hold the house together. Christ has given you a new house. As living stones fashioned, being built into the house of God. You don't have to hold the pieces together because you can't. You don't have to pretend that you're strong enough to withstand all the storms because you can't. But in Christ, those who have become new creations in a salvation complete, kept, he remembers your sin no more. I rehearse my sin all the time. And my king says, what are you talking about? You see, in the old sacrificial system, even though those sacrifices were made, God still remembered. He still remembered their sin. But not in the new covenant. You see, now we don't have an altar. We have a table. And at that table, we are reminded what Christ said. Behold, there's a new covenant, and it's in my blood You don't bring lambs, goats, bull. We don't offer these things anymore. Instead, we come to the table to celebrate what Christ has done on our behalf. Imperfect children, orphaned by sin, now adopted by the Father. Imperfect obedience and unholiness, now given Christ's righteousness and holiness. People destined for separation from God and death, now brought near by the blood of Christ, the precious blood of Christ, having put all the enemies to open shame. And God doesn't remember our sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And for so many people who are trying to hold those parts together, who feel like I cranked it one time too many, and there's too many relationships that are broken. There's too many ways that I failed. This addiction has gone on for too long. This depression is about to crush me. This anxiety, I have forgotten God. I have abandoned God. I've rebelled against God. I've not loved God as I should. God says, what are you talking about? He remembers it no more. He goes on to say, verse 18, for where there is forgiveness of these, there's no longer any offering for sin. He told us in those first verses that all those over and over were just reminders. Every year, Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, year after year, the reminder, you can't fix yourself, you're still broken. You can't fix yourself, you're still broken. But now in Christ. I want you to see what the scripture says because Boy, I take great hope in this. Look at verse 10. And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. (laughs) Dear ones, salvation's work is done. Jesus says, it is finished. And it's also a process. We have been sanctified. We are being sanctified. I I was saved. I, I am being saved. And I will be saved. There is this ongoing work that God is still doing in us. Sam and I were talking this week, and there was somebody in the office. He wrote out this long acrostic back, be patient with me. God's still working on me. I feel like I need a hard hat and, and, and gloves and flags and signs that say that. There's a lot of work to do on me. But God's doing it. 
Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. I need a God not only that saves me, but he keeps me. I want you to know that in this surprising salvation that is in Christ, your sin is completely done away with. And so we find ourselves still trying to fix ourselves. What do we do? You see, the the truth is humanity still believes it's going to save itself through worship and sacrifice. That's what we still believe. We still keep trying. There is this atheistic pursuit. And if you want to know what that looks like, it's this. Sin will be dealt with. The brokenness of the world is going to be dealt with through logic and reason and science. So we worship at the altar of science and we sacrifice anything that is religious. We're all still just trying to fix ourselves. And if this is the great hope of mankind, then with all the technological advances, with all of the proximity and closeness, being able to talk to people around the world in a split second, why are we so far apart? If education and economy are the things that are going to fix mankind, why are murder rates soaring? Why does genocide still exist? If it's so irrational, why do we still struggle with that? But there are other pursuits, the individual approach. Sin's going to be dealt with through your feelings and thoughts. Your worship will be expressed in your self-actualization and finding your true self. And what you'll sacrifice is anybody that disagrees with it. Or the spiritual approach. Sin doesn't even really have to be dealt with in this approach. And worship is whatever you want it to be. And there's no need to make any sacrifice because we're all just trying the best we can and we're all going to be okay in the end. Or there's the organized religious approach. Sin is dealt with in whatever sacraments or prescribed things are a part of that religious system. And you, you take and then you worship by whatever's prescribed for that. And what you sacrifice is anybody that disagrees with that religion. And everybody keeps trying to put the house back together and hold it together. Oh, but dear ones, there's the gospel. It's Jesus' Jesus's way. And sin is not dealt with because of anything that you do. Sin is dealt with by what Christ has done. And in Christ, having satisfied the divine wrath and justice of a holy God. Our worship is found in the giving of ourselves in love. That's just our reasonable act of worship. And sacrifice comes because we love him. And he saves us. And he keeps us. I wonder how many of you are still trying to put that house back together. I wonder how many of you sense the tension that it's going to explode any minute. I I wonder how many of you have tried over and over and over. You've tried religion. You've tried atheism. You've tried spiritualism. You've tried to do every single thing that you can. And you get to the end of yourself and you say, well, there's got to be something else that I'm going to keep trying. Can I tell you, Jesus Christ rescues sinners. And he will rescue you. But it won't be because of your religious good deeds. It won't be because of your self-actualization. 
it won't be because you kept all the rules and were good enough. It will be because you recognize that you couldn't hold the house together, that in your brokenness you were unable to save yourself, and you find yourself at the feet of King Jesus, who left heaven and all its purity for the unsanitary conditions of a broken world, who brought his perfection to this place, And the creator became like the creature and then suffered death at the hands of the creature. Not because it was an accident, but because it was a plan. Because he loves you that much. Religion will not save you. Irreligion will not save you. Only Jesus saves. For my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I'm wholly going to lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Advent reminds us there was a body prepared for Christ. Advent reminds us that this was a war cry and a completion cry. Advent reminds us that God became man dwelt among us, satisfied divine wrath and justice of God, rose victorious and invites you to be family. Stop trying to hold the house together. Let Jesus give you something better. You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com.